The following podcast is a Green Fresh Media production. Sort of our mission is to make people live in the present moment, remind themselves to, you know, be their most creative and authentic selves. And so the product being obviously zero sugar and plant-based plays into that. Like the ingredients are actually calming as well as the packaging design. So, and as well as the name. Born into the natural products industry, he's a serious social strategist who loves natural foods and has his pulse on everything the industry has to offer. Join Kyle on his journey navigating through the natural products industry where he will be connecting you with brands, founders, retailers, influencers, industry leaders, and so much more to give you a behind the scenes look. Welcome to Time to Grow with your host, Kyle Marsham. Welcome back everybody to the to the Time to Grow podcast. Today we have a, a cool, cool guest. He uh, His name's Alex Simonelli and he's the founder of Daydream, a brand new hemp and adaptogenic infused sparkling water. You might have seen it in the market if you're in Canada. It's it's pretty damn good. We're here to talk about everything entrepreneurship, starting his business, and and how we got into you know the hemp and the adaptogenic world because I find it fascinating. But without further ado, Alex, welcome to the show. Introduce yourselves and and, and dive into it. Thanks for the gracious introduction. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be on the show. I think what you're doing is awesome, um, bringing together our industry here, which is, uh, you know, needs to be more tight knit for sure. And, and I think that earlier on when I was starting, even now, I would, I would absolutely, as a founder, would have loved to, to dive into something like this. At least when I started, I, I came with no background experience in food and bev. So mm-hmm. it's like a gold mine and it is a gold mine, right? For a lot of people. So um, hopefully I can provide some, some value to the listeners and share a bit of my story. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so where, where did your journey start? Right. I, I, I love those type of questions and I'm fascinated by like where you came from. Did you get this entrepreneurial bug from school? Is it from your parents? Did you, you know, <laughs> was it from social media, you know, in school? Like how did it come about? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, we're going way back. <laughs> um, I was like 16, 17 when I started uh, doing like different sort of sales jobs and realizing that I could kind of craft my own, you know, income with my with my words and my knowledge and 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 sort of start shaping my own destiny and and doing and putting myself out there to get rejected, but also to, you know, get a whiff of that success. And 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 then I went to university, I actually dropped out a first time. Uh, because I just was nothing was meshing with me. And I started uh, entrepreneurially working at another business. Um, we did like 3.5 million in sales was utility sales. My friend sold the company. I was left unemployed. I pretty much at that point learned very quickly. It's like, okay, the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to own it. I'm going to be, it's going to be something I'm passionate about that I can get behind. So I learned the, you know, the lesson there about equity and, and, and ownership. Um, and then, you know, I, I went on a hiatus for about a year. Uh, was doing writing for the cannabis, uh, cannabis journals, post media, the grow up, some, some articles. And so I really was into cannabis as a sector. I love CBD. I was a CBD user. Um, and then that's when the idea kind of hit me. I went back to school for entrepreneurship and built the business kind of alongside my course and started coming up with this idea for daydream. Or at the time it was like new age daydream. Like I, I was, you know, messing around with names, brand identities and all of these things. Um, and a friend of mine who now works with me, Chris, um, and is a partner in the business, 
he was coming out of the cannabis space and he basically said, do not start a CBD drink. Like, cause I was like, I'm going to do a CBD drink. And I had no clue what that meant. And he told me, you know, limited regulation, limited distribution, upfront cash burn licenses. You can't market it the way that you're telling me you want to do it. It's just no fun. I said, so I pivoted and that's when I went to hemp extract, which is below 0.3%. And, and I fell in love with adaptogens and adaptogens are pretty much plant-based extracts and they're uh, anchored in the same kind of states that CBD would give someone ideally, right? Calm, productivity, uh, stress reduction. So I fell in love with that. And then that was sort of how I, I stumbled into the food and beverage space. So here I am thinking I'm going to do a CBD thing um, because it aligns with, with, with my beliefs. And now I'm suddenly entering like grocery, like, you know, food service, you know, coffee shops. And I'm like, wow, this is so exciting because it's like a free for all, which is what I wanted. I can go in and just do sales. I'm not, you don't have to get these licenses and all these regulations. So I I was having a blast when I, when I first started out. And um, I guess the fundamental belief that I had is that more people would drink plant-based beverages in the future, period versus synthetic caffeine, chemical filled, sugar filled energy drinks. I didn't know if that was going to be, you know, one year, three years, five years, I was like, I just need to get ahead of this, which is like sort of the mentality you'd have if you were, I don't know, trading Mm -hmm. a stock, right? It's like, you got to get in on this thing before it becomes the thing. So I just knew it was coming. I didn't know when, who would have thought, you know, eight months into my business, COVID hits. Now it was devastating for everyone all around. Meanwhile, we're in grocery though. More people are spending longer times in the grocery stores, trying new snacks, wellness products. My product kind of blew up then because people were more conscious of what they're putting into their bodies. I think in a way, and what I heard from customers is it started replacing energy drinks because people weren't go, go, going to get somewhere, but now they were being more mindful and calm in where they were. So yeah, it was just a this weird storm <laughs> that happened. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just a very, ex- it was a very exciting uh, start to the company. And actually I kind of hop, skipped and jumped over some things too. Um, you know, it was, it was also a brand new experience having to build the product from scratch with formulators, having to build the brand from scratch. That was all kind of done in the, right before, obviously before the pandemic in the early 2019. Yeah. So that's, that's the stuff that I find so fascinating being on the, broker side of it in in my world, right? I, I touch the product after all that nitty gritty stuff has happened, right? And then we get to, you know, get to succeed when you get it on shelf or whatever. But the more and more interviews I'm doing, and the more I'm connecting with entrepreneurs and founders is this, um, you know, the fun and the, the excitement that goes into designing your packaging or coming up with the name, you mm-hmm. know, or figuring out the ingredient profile. You know, and then as, as, as boring as it sounds, I, I like the financial side of it as well. Like, you know, looking for product market fit, working backwards and understanding that, you know, you need to be at a certain retail or you want to be positioned as a premium product or whatever. My question is, mm-hmm. where did you or how did you come to the name Daydream? Yeah, for sure. And uh, to your point, that was one of the best times, right? It was the funnest time, that early creation phase. And then the business starts changing and it becomes this financial model and becomes a, you know, yeah. this machine you have to oil and figure out, you know, how <laughs> to grow in a different way. You're like, what? This is just a experiment of science experiment. Um, yeah. yeah, daydream was, <laughs> daydream was pretty much, I was trying to find a way to encapsulate, you know, how I wanted people to feel. I'm a big believer that like, I love that like sleek identities, like, you know, not that Apple is 
telling you how to feel doesn't make sense, but like, you know, Apple, right. Like Shopify, like they pick like one name and I didn't want to do like, you know, something, something beverage. Like it was just like daydream and I wanted to own it. And it was a bit intimidating. Cause I was like, well, I'm going to be the, like just daydream on Instagram, right? Not daydream drinks or beverages by date or something, drink a daydream. So you have to really fill in those shoes of that brand identity after because you are daydream. But that's how iconic I see the brand. I see it going in the future, even further out past beverages in a way it's agnostic. It's a, it's an awesome brand. And so started with the drinks, wanted to build something really iconic. And so that name just worked with me. And it was in my head because of a David Bowie song called Moon Age Daydream, which is kind of like the little backstory, right? Um, so I cut out the Moon Age and then I just went to like Daydream. And it was sort of our mission is to make people live in the present moment, remind themselves to, you know, be their most creative and authentic selves. And so the product being obviously zero sugar and plant-based plays into that. Like the ingredients are actually calming as well as the packaging design. So, and as well as the name, which right away, you're going to kind of get what it does by reading the name. I wanted that as well. I needed name and packaging to kind of give a particular design language or identity. I did brand identity was something I studied even before. And it was like, I was so excited about, because really that's the most back to my point about the creation mm-hmm. phase. You're actually rather your point. That's really the most exciting point because it's like, what am I putting out to the world? So this was like my art to the world. So I did a lot of thinking and, and like, how do I want people to feel? What do I want the brand to, to the ethos to be? Why the brand tonality, everything, right? So branding, branding was very fun. It was like my creative uh, catharsis. And I still do a lot of the creative direction to this day for the website, social medias, and any pretty, pretty much any marketing material. Although now I am trying to we have a team and we're outsourcing certain things. I still hang on to a lot of the creative stuff because it's just, it's just fun. Right. So. Yeah. The um, no, I love that. That one, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, was why functional beverages and um, you kind of touched on it a little bit is, is in order to, well, you didn't touch on it, but you touched on why I think you're going to be successful in the functional uh, beverage spaces. You're, you're creating a lifestyle brand, right? And everything that it encompasses, the ethos. It's you're telling a story on social. You're you're kind of changing the game a little bit and and transitioning from like that energy kind of mindset or caffeinated mm-hmm. drinks or whatever into calm. And I read a pretty cool article that that they wrote up on you. Was it People or Business? I can't remember which one, but um, you know, it was around the calm is the new energy or whatever, right? This like, um, flow, flow state and, you know, everything, which I thought was freaking genius. And then I went back and looked on your website and then I ended up buying, um, um, some product at the store. And then I'm just like, this guy's going to kill it. I love it. But when you go back a little bit, you know, rewind a little bit, the functional beverage, right? You, in my world, it's one of the most competitive categories out there. Were you concerned about that at all? Or, or was it like, this is kind of what I want to do. I know it's early and it's just like, let's kill it and do our best. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously right in the States, it's even more competitive. Although I did mm-hmm. notice here we were lacking and it had a gap. So for me, it was scary. It was like, move, move, move. You know, I launched it in six, six to eight months. I already had the product. Right. So I was like, I need to get to market. Like, you know, I, I was spending pretty much, you know, like 12 plus hour days every day in that early phase to get to market. Cause I was like, I do not want, you know, to, to look back a year from now and say, I didn't go fast enough. So yeah, for sure was, but I think right now in terms of competition, now, if you look again, looking at the States, different landscape, I think they have, you know, a ton of products, teas, milks, waters, um, granola bars with adaptogens in them and nootropics. 
So way more competitive there when we, and if we ever make that expansion there, which I'm sure we will, you have to be ready to make a meaningful impact here in Canada, kind of a double-edged sword though. No one knows about it. You can be first. We were first mover, like we were really the first hemp and adaptogen drink here, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, little education about it. So now education is costly. So I was also worried about a competitor coming out with more funding and educating people sooner. So I said, how can I be, you know, how can I beat that? And it was through branding. So I invested heavily into branding and then that kind of invested back into, into us because people love the brand people share things that they love and then sort of became our Trojan horse. People found us because of the brand or the name and then decided to look more into the adaptogen. So we're like, we're not going to basically, try to educate you on all of these little adaptogen names and what they do as much as we're going to compete for attention. So we're compete, our competitors are, you know, and uh, even though I love them, you know, the sap suckers, right. The, uh, the kombucha brands that are out yeah. there, right. Anything else pretty much that will grab your attention on the shelf that you'll pick up that. So we're really competing with attention more than we are in the category. Um, you mentioned lifestyle brand, you know, and I love that because I feel like it's like a name that everyone just, kind of throws out there when they don't know who their consumer is it's like i run a lifestyle brand (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean like that's right and so i think like this is the way i explain it when someone says like what what does that even mean and and i could again this is just my interpretation so it could be maybe you want to add on to it or improve it right but i look at it like you know why do people trudge around the streets cheering in sports jerseys when they're in the cup right? They want everyone to know that they identify with this team and that they're backing and supporting it. So when you represent a brand publicly outside of your house, it is way, or public and social media, it is way different than represent, than using a brand that you use every day. You know, you use Clorox. I'm not going around posting about Clorox and I use Bounty. I'm not like, look today, guys, I use the Bounty. Like it's, that's just a brand. It's cereal, whatever you eat cereal. You know, but when the brand leaves that sphere of just being used and now people are showing and people are very selective of what they show themselves around. If obviously, if you look at social media, right, Mm -hmm. everybody wants social identity. It's a big thing. And it's people are extremely selective. So I think that's a lifestyle brand is something that actually aligns with someone's core values. And the little caveat is like what they will show people publicly. So that's sort of how I've always looked at it. So if my brand's cool enough to be shown publicly or aligns with their values or their other consumption constellation, whatever, however you want to put it, to the fact that they'll show their friends proudly, like, look, I was the first one to show you this kind of thing, which we do with so many things like restaurants and artists and albums, right? That was the kind of effect I started seeing almost like an experiential effect. Mm -hmm. then I knew that I was doing something right because that was sort of the goal from the beginning. So tough to say if we're even there at the epitome of that because obviously there's like that crazy virality that like let's say a celebrity endorsement would give you and we don't have that. So we're really just trying to do it from the ground up um, like like a groundswell as best as we can. Well, I think what's happening and you touched on it in that article that I read is there's there's an alignment that's taking place, right? And it's that switch from the entrepreneur who has to, you know, work 20 hour days and doesn't sleep and has to read all these books and has to understand stocks and this, this go, go, go crazy mindset to now it's, you know, flow state, calm, you know, understand your surroundings and, um, you know, seek mentorship and, you know, take a step back and, and think clearer about a project or whatever. Right. And it's, and it's aligning more and more and it looks like, you know, 
Daydream's there as that lifestyle brand that could very easily branch out of functional beverages, right? Which is kind of cool. And I'm sure you didn't see that happening when you started, but it's it's going down a pretty exciting path. So kudos to you. It is. And honestly, I learned one thing while working in the food space that you obviously know well, being in the brokerage space, it's like the amount of money and, and marketing dollars and time it takes to really properly build a brand, right? It's a lot more than anyone expects and to, to penetrate into retail. So it's like, you know, we're trying to stay super focused right now. And I, this, this talks gets me so excited, right? It's like all these ideas and stuff. And then at the same time, I kind of have to, you know, calm myself down and go, okay, let's scale with these three successfully <laughs> across all of Canada, yeah. then create, you know, daydream bubble gum or daydream granola bars or mm-hmm. whatever. It really just comes down to funding. And then right now focus for the, for the man, for the leadership team, you know, um, and myself. So yeah, I think that, you know, it is so it is so exciting though because there isn't really a brand like this out there and that was it's so cool it feels so awesome to do something that instead of innovate off of well in a way it was innovating off of another category but it feels nice to be that first brand for people to experience mm-hmm. you know and like hearing from customers is still super surreal i still don't even feel that i, I haven't really um personalize the success too much i try not to because i think that first off when you do that then you kind of take you move away from the things you were doing that made you successful. So I look at it kind of just like, you know, and then a customer, a friend, you know, my girlfriend will have some friends over and one of them will be like, wait, that's daydream daydream. Like I've been drinking that for a year. <laughs> like, yeah. I still, I still not taking it in. I'm like, Oh, you are. That doesn't mean anything. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, right. So I you're try super not- jacked up on the inside. <laughs> Right. Because I just want to keep growing. And I'm like, let me get out of my own way because I figure like, you know, your ego can get in your own way. And I'm just trying to like keep working so hard and it's a lot of work, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that most people are, it's nice to hear, as I was saying, it's exciting to hear when people say, Oh yeah, I replaced a midday coffee with that. Or, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't drink pops anymore. And this tastes to me like it has sugar in it and it doesn't. And I was like, what the heck? And it's perfect. That's exactly what that's the response I want it right. And people to have, so there's even that sober curious movement. A lot of people mm-hmm. are trying to think, uh, huge. Yeah. I mean, and so this is like a showstopper. You bring this to the party and now it's like, you didn't have to bring a craft beer or whatever, right. A cocktail. Everyone's like, Whoa, what is this? Right. And you can mix it with alcohol too, which is an angle we tried marketing this year too. Right. And we'll probably continue marketing because it makes a good mixer too. I think, right. Zero sugar has the high flavor profiles. Right. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's cool to learn all these use cases. And it's always surreal to see people, you know, using it. And um, now it's just like how to make sure that we have a posterity in the long term and that we're, you know, we're growing and that we're there, right? Um, that's probably the biggest fear any entrepreneur has, right? You don't want to be a flash in the pan, right? You touched on it, focus. I think through the, the people I've had the, the pleasure of speaking with, um, fo- it comes down to focus right? If you can be hyper-focused on the goal, right? And that's not getting distracted by, you know, maybe innovating too soon, right? We've seen many, many brands, you know, they come to us with five SKUs and then in a year they have 12 and, and then, you know, nine of them don't succeed, right? It's being laser focused, not just on those parts, but all parts of the business. And to have that kind of visibility right now is, I think, will, will you know, stay with you long-term, um, you know, you touched on a lot of, you know, great points. And you also talked about it costs a lot of money to 
build a CPG food or beverage brand. Um, mm-hmm. You just raised money. Can you talk about that process, um, how you went about it, and and the impact it's going to have on your business? Yeah, and we ra- we raised a little bit, right? We're still actually raising because we've decided to expand the seed round. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's so grueling, right? I mean, the first year though, was obviously like the absolute hardest because a you're building the confidence to you're learning your own business and how to present it. Now it's like, I love taking investor meetings because it actually just feels like cathartic or almost like, you know what I mean? Cause it's like mm-hmm. being actualized, you know, it's like, yes, you know, before it was very like, oh my God, am I saying the right things? What do these investors want to hear? You almost feel like you're never going to close any money. And I had at the very beginning, some investors that, that are investors now that just followed me for the first year. They said no at the very beginning or not, like, or not yet. And they followed me for an entire year. Every quarter they meet with me. I took those meetings and just built that relationship because I was just happy to have somebody to talk to. And I thought maybe this will turn into something. And it did because then they saw that I was integral with what I was saying when I first started, I'm talking with zero revenue going, this is going to be huge, you know, (laughs) right. Scaling up to, and we're still not sizable. We're not at that million dollar revenue mark yet, but they've seen the growth towards that now. And they're like, then just maybe in the last six months, they're like, okay, let's go. I want to come in this round. So Mm -hmm. it's such a long game. And, uh, and I get that they probably get approached with so many people say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And none of it ever happened. So they wanted to make sure I was actually, you know, able to, um, you know, back things up. And then when they saw that, and then they, they understood the business better, the margins and all that. But yeah, I mean, it was tough. It was tough to raise, especially when COVID hit, we lost some people or, or people dropped their amounts because of the whole uncertainty of the situation. Now we just got some backing, um, part of the CB. So that extension that we're doing, we got some backing mm-hmm. from beyond, which is a plant-based fund, a subsidiary of K2 capital, um, really cool management team that wants to actively work with us, even though we're probably not the largest in their portfolio, obviously, right. They got some big, big names in there, like Nabati foods and stuff. And, um, so it's really nice to have that backing and, uh, and now we're just doing a lot of, uh, searching for more people to come into the round um with them and we we have like a, a list and it's it takes a lot of meetings it takes a lot of due diligence and every investor comes with their own baggage slash story right so you have to respect each one's and their time and and what they want to learn about the business and um you know and so there's some t- tips and tricks we learned over the thing about how to kind of formalize everything which has really helped also, just how to, you know, uh, give what people ask for and not overload them with info. My God, I remember when I very first started, I used to drop Excels on Excels on people. And then someone told me, like, what are you doing? Like, then we raised that in- initial amount of money with five slides after, you know, and wow. I was like, why did I drop like a 12 page Excel with tabs and moving formulas on people? Like, what was wrong with me? But I actually thought like I'm being the most transparent and you can do that in a more simplistic and effective way. Right. So like tons of tips and tricks, right. The formalization thing I mentioned earlier, which just means like putting timelines and deadlines and working with an actual IR manager to formalize the emails and the presentations, everything can be done very, uh, a little bit more. So for, for the audience, right. A lot of them, um, that have reached out to me are young entrepreneurs just starting out. They might even, you know, that, that, you know, pre product, I'm um, just thinking about getting started in terms of raising money. Um, 
what would you what would you say the, the you know one two three things are to worry about and then how to go about it right the presentation like you said i've seen um you know 25 page decks and like you said the five page deck is more compelling right and then excel spreadsheets and like so many different ways of doing it from your experience what would you say are kind of those top three must do's mindset for sure get ready for a bunch of rejections knows it's a numbers game right fault like and in that example when i said i followed like continued to build a relationship over an entire year like maybe a lot of people would not do that because the first mm-hmm. no crush them right so coming with a sales background like even when i started the beverage when i was trying to find manufacturing partners somebody told me oh we're going to spill more on the floor than you're going to make you know your entire career we're going to spill more by accident and i was like oh you know, that's good. You know, I'm going to remember that one, right? Like, so rejection mm-hmm. didn't mean so much to my identity or me because of just mindset. So I'd say that's huge in raising money. Um, probably to, you know, actually back up things. Like don't go and promise the world and then not do it. Like I was promising reasonable things and I was doing them. And when they saw that and said, oh, he's good on his word, they came in maybe six months to a year after my very first meeting with them, right? Do you have an example of maybe one? Is that like distribute realistic distribution goals, branding goals, innovation goals? Do you have like an example of what a promise would be that you followed through on? It could be anything. I mean, for me, it's just like, imagine I'm starting at zero revenue and I'm like, this mm-hmm. thing's going to be huge. And then you're seeing like, oh, he did, you know, he's doing a couple hundred thousand. Oh, he's doing that. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a real thing. Right. So I guess it's like backing up your action. And some people might say, yeah, but hey, I need that money to go do that. And you do. And I mm-hmm. had to sell my condo to self-fund my, I was my own seed investor. And I know stories from friends that who sold a lot, like large chunks of their company to, to get that initial funding. So I just wanted to avoid that. I put my own capital at risk. So maybe for these, those people that want to do that, they have to go the family friend route, maybe. I don't know, but we all have so many resources around us. Um, yeah, so I would say mindset and, uh, you know, I don't know the third one though. Um, <laughs> maybe the, I don't know, maybe the, the formalization of it would help as well. Um, so did you contact uh, a company that specializes in raising money and they help you put together everything from outreach to building the presentation, understanding your financials and that whole kind of formulation package? Is that what that is? Yeah, I built it with Chris, who I mentioned earlier was that mm-hmm. in friend of mine advisor and now he, he owns some of the company to investor oh. yeah and so um he has some friends in the space that we asked questions to just about raising money we asked basically i think that's the last one be open to be a become a sponge right like realize that you don't have all the answers you know and i think that when these investors saw as well that i didn't have all the answers a lot of them even offered to be advisors and then i built these nice sound boards and now i kind of have this like inner circle of, of like three to four people that we meet with quarterly and that i can talk to and, and email anytime and bounce ideas off of or ask for help so i think that you know building that kind of relationship off of learning versus off of trying to oversell and overpromise. back to that other point about the promising stuff and making stuff happen. I mean, and hiccups happen. Like, dude, we, we totally thought our projections were going to be different this year than we were, because I did not understand that when you're onboarding Metro and Lobos and all these things that if they give you a date, it's like three months after that date, you know, like Mm -hmm. I had no idea. And I didn't understand how it worked with, you know, getting a percentage of stores and having to build with that retail over time. I just thought I was entitled to a particular number because my brand's awesome. And come on, like, who's not going to love this. Right. And that's just not how it works. So it's like, I'm also learning. And I went back to the investors and said, Hey, 
this is my first time doing this too. So I'm learning this. And so I'm a, I was a bit off here, but still, this is how we are building the foundational things for next year. And these are my learnings. So I think, you know, paying attention to your own learnings and your failures and reshaping them to learnings um, is big because that sort of self-awareness is investable, you know? Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic advice. Um, you know, you touched on a few things there about things that have surprised you about going to grocery. What, what would be some other ones that, you know, shocked you throughout this journey? Cause I've seen them all right from pricing mistakes to what the listing fees are outrageous to, you know, like you said, distribution and, and the, the timelines, right? I remember, you know, when I started on, I was managing whole foods and I got like my first group of listings and i remember calling the brand or emailing the brand i'm like i got you listed whole foods and then they're like all happy i'm like but yeah it's not until next august because it's gonna actually be in distribution right and then you know it's only half the battle so it's it's funny we got really lucky that that didn't cause us to go and make like a ton of product and then be stuck with it because luckily like we you know we do we, we kept a very good eye on cash flow and product because thank god but i got very close many times where i had a lot and i thought a distribution was coming and this is kind of what happened it pushed out luckily also the shelf life's great on our product so you know i said okay then reallocate that here here to the online store to this you know and and, and we're able to kind of shuffle things around but yeah you can make some deadly mistakes all because of you know things not going the exact way you think at the retail level and um I think at the early stages, the biggest challenge was convincing, you know, and rightfully so convincing retailers that like, what is this thing, right? Because everybody said, oh, is this a kombucha? Oh, is this a cold brew coffee? Oh, why is this price like this? And I was like, no, people are going to spend for a 99 to 599 on, and we were seeing that on our online store at the coffee shops, like they will spend that on a unique plant-based drink and on a premium brand. I mean, look at Starbucks, right? Like there's the elasticity there with the consumer, right? Like even throughout the pandemic, Starbucks sales were up and stock went up, right? Like it, it's the consumer, there's a particular elasticity and that's who our consumer is, right? And I mean, look at craft kombucha five years ago, right? Like five to $7 a bottle. I remember the first time I discovered kombucha, I was like, what on earth am I spending $5 on? But I wanted to spend it because I wanted to find out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, it, it, that's the way it is. And then, you know, you you get support and then it makes sense to slowly do promos or lower product. Like next year, we wanted to use that lever more to make this more accessible or create a four pack to make this an everyday product for people with a lower price now. And, and you do that. And it's the same thing that most companies do when they're building economies of scale, um, you know, build something at first and only like the early adopters or those hardcore fans will support that and, and vote with their dollar for it to exist. And um, yeah, it was really tough convincing the, the retailers, but we did it. I did it and I met with them and, and did presentations on Zoom, which was nice during the pandemic because it's, you know, when, when they started taking presentations again, you can take a lot more meetings now in this digital era, mm -hmm. right? Versus drive around and all these things. So condensed a lot of meetings and um, yeah. And then once it was finally kind of, and it's still, I'm still proving it to this day. I mean, even with a distributor out in BC, they're like, nope, pricing doesn't work for us. Like some people just don't, want to hear it or understand why it's always tough right because you want it you're so passionate about your brand you should be like you don't understand you know and no one wants to hear that you don't understand right 
So you have to respect everyone's decision and find, I would always find different information. I'd show data from the States, secondary data, competitors in the States at their price point USD and show how we're predominantly cheaper and Canadian. I'd explain the whole elasticity thing with Starbucks or kombucha. I had to find different ways to explain the idea versus just saying, you don't understand, <laughs> right? What this is it, what this is going to be or can be, because really it isn't anything without these people, right? As well. And, um, and with, you know, luckily again, I had those early sales with the consumer, which is a big vote of confidence because in a market with so much noise, if a consumer is going to stop and buy your thing, um, then you can kind of use that. I think to the young entrepreneurs, you know, like uh, at the beginning, you're either selling story or data. You have way less data. So you're selling story, right? <laughs> One, right. So don't feel like, a, 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 you know, a, whatever salesman by having to sell the story. No, no, no. Proudly sell the story and your convictions and your beliefs. But the moment you get some data, start sprinkling it in the slides and the story in your presentation. Like, and that's what we did. And now we're, we still don't have a lot of data, right? Cause what have we been in Loblaw since what June? So it's like, right. But we're building it, we're building it. So it's, it's, um, it's been a process. Yeah. Being on the, the, the broker side of it, right. We, we, present and pitch a lot of business, right? But there's nobody that's going to be able to sell your brand better than you. So my favorite pitch or presentation with a retailer is you present your story, I'll present the data, right? And there's this harmony that it that it creates, right? And we, we can usually use a lot of other categories to kind of spin information or that's favorable for you. The other thing too is, you know, you think about kombucha back when it launched, like you said, right? I remember when we we're working with our kombucha brand before it existed, buyers would spit it back in your face. Like this, what is this? This is awful, right? What the heck am I drinking? And you want to sell it for four bucks? Are you outrageous? Like, sure, I'll try one skew. And now you go into Whole Foods and there's bunkers full of kombucha, right? So it's, you, you could probably use that as a perfect example, right? Like how, much, how many linear feet were you allocating to the kombucha five, eight years ago? right? Wow, Adaptogenic functional beverages, right? Yeah. You live through it. I mean, you work through it. That's awesome. I'm just using it as a story, right? You actually work. <laughs> and it's, and it's funny, right? It's yeah, no, it's incredible. You touched on it. Um, a couple minutes ago, direct to consumer social media, we've been talking about, but this concept of omni channel, right? It gets thrown around pretty loosely, even with retailers, they were like, you know, be more omni-channel. No one really gets what it means. It's got a few different random definitions. But what role is kind of that multi-channel connectivity playing in your business, right? Because you sell on social, you have your direct consumer, you need to interact with the retailers. And the last time we spoke, you had a really good idea. And you say that you touch everything. I'd, I would love for you to give some insights on, you know, omni-channel and how it relates to your business. Yeah, I mean, omni-channel to me has always meant, and one of our advisors kind of taught me what that was as well as Hub Hero Hygiene. And I was like, oh, and I still am probably going to butcher it. I have my notes somewhere. But <laughs> Hub Hero Hygiene, Google that, great concept, like hero content, and you can cut up that, splice it up and use it in other places. Hygiene mm -hmm. is like, you know, if someone Googles Daydream right now and sees like a daily hive article, it's old. It's from like two years ago. And it'll be like Daydream's available in 30 locations. Like, okay, I better go pay daily hive, get that updated because that's my hygiene, right? Just taking care of certain things. Right. And so yeah, Google Hub Hero Hygiene, but omni channels that same kind of thing where 
you know, being available in a lot of places for people to see, I think like um, to have an effect on someone, I think the rules they need to see you in three places in a month or two or whatever. So we try to think of it like a funnel, right? So street of Toronto, we have posters all across Toronto right now. If you're walking on Queen Street, Ossington, wherever you're going to see our posters, but maybe subconsciously you've seen us on the grocery shelf. So that's two. That's why I love the packaging as being part of the, of the awareness. Because technically that actually makes one of those three and saves me some money. <laughs> and if I've never noticed your product, like a friend of mine is like, oh, my friend's product is right beside yours on the Loblaw shelves. Like, I only know sap suckers beside me on the Loblaw shelf. It's almost like my brain, because my brain can only process so much information, just went beep and just erased all memory of anything else I've seen around my product. And I don't know. And I felt bad saying that. So to this guy, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, it's beside me, you know, but you know, so that awareness part, that's our touch too. Maybe they saw a poster that's number one. And then maybe number three, an influencer campaign, an article they read or something that will be enough to drive a purchase. Generally, this is just like a theory that and by the way, these theories are coming from, you know, like a 14 year marketing executive at Labatt Blues, one of my investors and advisors. So I'm like, I take zero credit for this. I'm just learning this right now. Actually, the Hub Hero also came from another advisor who's a marketing uh, guy as well. So zero credit here. I'm just learning these. And now I'm kind of like regurgitating <laughs> them to the best of my ability. But I wrote it down. Yeah, we try, we're trying to like think this way, right? And then, oh, end of funnel would be like, we just did a Loblaw shelf banner display. So in all of our Loblaws locations, we took over the beverage aisle for a month with huge banners, cool. Either direction you walk in, you're going to see it. So, and then they double faced us on promo. So it's like, you know, like we're trying to do things on all ends of the funnel. You can't just do the retail discount, discount, discount. If you're a lifestyle brand, I think I spoke about this in that article or in another podcast, it's like, it, you know, a lifestyle brand, you can't discount all the time. Or if you discount, it still needs to be at a premium allure because you need margin to build that lifestyle brand. I mean, postering all Toronto is not cheap, right? Or doing influencer stuff, doing things like out in the public, real partnerships. Uh, we did a custom flavor with some retailers. You can only find at particular locations. Doing stuff like that's not cheap, right? So being a lifestyle brand means you can't really promo all, all the time or be the cheapest product on shelf, but you're hoping that they've people have had that connection with you outside of the store and then, right, to add up to those three touches and then say, okay, I'm going to try this thing. What's this all about, right? So that's sort of how we've been looking at marketing and uh, always updating that point of view or adding things to it or subtracting things away from it for sure. And um, I mean, it's just been tough too, because now I realize that a lot of large brands plan their marketing now, you know, and I don't have a team. I'm doing the marketing with Chris. It's like, we need a, an intern or marketing. Anyone listening to this, we're looking for someone to come on and help us out with marketing because it's just like how much time you have in a day. And now I'm like, okay, we better start planning marketing stuff now for next year. Because I realized that doing it a month before, like we've been doing it, really cuts down your selection of brands to work with. Because most of them are like, we're booked for the rest of this year. We booked it out in January or in December the year before, right? So um, yeah, we're, lear we're learning and uh, I would <laughs> trying to I, I'm going to start implementing some of that in my conversations with some of our brands. I love that. Um, is Hub Hero Hygiene? Yeah, Hub Hero and Hygiene. I just learned that really too. Really cool. The upkeep is so important, right? You can get old so fast nowadays, right? It's that consistency um, and then sharing the evolution of the brand or whatever. I love asking this question. It's such a fun one. Um, and I always get a ton of feedback from it. It's a day in the life 
right? What's a day in the life of an entrepreneur, of the, the founder of Daydream? Uh, you know, probably a meeting or two on Zoom. Like Mondays, I do my touch base on my team. Um, you know, maybe I'm doing some sales calls. Uh, you know, I like how I could like, because it's so flexible, I can be working on a creative thing one day and to the next day doing, uh, doing a sales thing. Um, I am also, you know, out of the office a good amount. So I do like to, you know, go to the photo shoot that we're doing when we're creating content, you know, like go visit stores, go do demos. Of course, I'm not going to probably hang on to all of these things forever, but that is what you need to do as a founder. And I love that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a mix of stuff. And I usually, I'm a night owl. So once it hits like after dinner, I'm working. And so if, I'll be doing emails sometimes to like almost midnight. So if you get an email from me and it's at like 8 a.m. in the morning, like on the nose, it was like sent at like 1230 and then, you know, and I just reset it for eight. So everyone gets my emails at eight. Alex is always very particular. I'll send them sometime at six. People will be like, damn, that Kyle's really on top of his business. <laughs> but I got one from you at 1 a.m. yesterday or to, to confirm we're good to go today. I'm, I'm well, the with, complete opposite. With, I'm like 10 p.m. snoozing. Well, with you, I thought, you know what? Yeah, I don't give a at one a.m., he's not. Gonna say, he's not going to be like, what yeah, about? I don't care. He doesn't sleep yeah. before the day of our podcast. Yeah. Do you have um, a lot? Of, a lot of founders, even later in life, they they get into, or they have specific routines. It's like I'm wearing this shirt. I get up at eight. I'm drinking this smoothie. I'm talking to this person. I'm doing my yoga. Do you have a routine? Or are you? Uh, are you the opposite? Because there's some people that are, you know, either or, and you know, both extremely. Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm usually I'm usually up by like nine. I like to be up right before the markets open. I don't know, just a habit <laughs> I developed earlier, and that I've just stuck with. Nothing crazy in terms of like, oh, I'm biohacking with like I'm no I'm not Tim Ferriss, but <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. But like I have. Yeah for those who get that joke, but like, I definitely have like some staple things. Like I'll, you know, I, I just discovered matcha instead of having so many coffees, but I will have a coffee mm -hmm. Italian. It's sacrilegious. If I don't have a coffee each day. Um, I need my afternoon one. It's coming to that three o'clock or I'm going to start crashing soon. So that's where I started drinking my own product, obviously, because I have it no. in my house all the time. So I'm drinking that during the middle of the day. Um, I just discovered like these poor teas, which is like a, Fermented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really good for your uh, digestion system and and uh, gut and stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a CBD user. I do like I have like this uh, cream here, the salve that I use. And so when I'm stressed out and writing an email, I just rub some on the palms of my head. Nice little things like that that I have lying around my desk. You know, um, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. Nothing crazy. Um, those are those are tools, man. The 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 CBD for stress relief and even for headaches. Sometimes you know, re being on the computer, it zooms back to back, right? It's sometimes you just want to put your your head down and close your eyes, right? But a little bit of CBD adaptogenic beverages can make all the difference, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I also am a big like anchoring person too. So for instance, like when I was starting the company, right? I always had this sign right beside me. It's like it says hustle and it lights up. It's neon. And, um, you know, I like to turn that on at night while I'm working and remind myself of like when I started. So it's like, I'm, I'm using items or visuals or things to, that I've connected with emotionally to anchor me back to a particular mindset. 
because it's very easy to get like uh, pro to procrastinate, right? Or as you get bigger to say, well, I'm going to get somebody else to do this and to do that and not to be as excited anymore over the business. But I try to always keep myself super excited. I also like art, you know, and stuff. So anything that anchors me to a particular emotional state I have around me. So not so much of a product. I have a couple of products, like I said, the tea or the CBD stuff or a daydream, but um, environment's big for me too. Um, yeah, I mean, and those items and uh, I'm trying to think what other little tips. And I, got, I have my sign that I see every morning, be a voice, not an echo. I, like I that love one. that. I love that. Yeah. Mantras. That's your, so that's like a mantra. I guess I don't have yeah. one only like a mantra, but yeah, those are, those are cool too. Having like uh, something that you almost repeat to yourself every day. Right. Um, to, to burn it in to your brain's auto auto suggestion. Yeah, exactly. Right? Oh, no negative energy formed against me shall prosper. That's something I like to say. I don't know. It's cheesy, but yeah. like your, your sign, right? So yeah. Before we jump off, where can people find Daydream? We've name dropped a few Metro Loblaws, daydreamdrinks.com. Is it, is it, no, it's drinkdaydream.com. Yeah. You know, any other retailer shout outs, anything exciting happening? You got some innovation that you're holding close to your heart. Any, any cool things happening and where can people find you? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, Metro, we're not in all of them yet. They're in the Metro's Ontario yet. So um, if you're listening to this podcast uh, months from now, maybe, but it would be in Loblaws, Healthy Planets, Sobeys, across Ontario, and um, pretty much no matter where you are in Canada, if you go to our website and you go to the store locator at the bottom footer, you can pretty much geographically like target the stores around you that have it. So a lot of independents. Yeah, we do free shipping on our site too, which is pretty great. So across all of Canada. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say anything crazy that I could uh, point to in the pipeline. Um, basically appreciate all the support that we've been getting from people to make this thing exist. And now hopefully, you know, once we finish raising this money, we can actually bring this thing to the next level where so many more eyeballs can be on and can enjoy the benefits of the drink and and have that experience of finding it and discovering the brand and all of these kinds of things that we enjoy to do and get now paid to do. It's, it's, it's surreal to say, you know, we get my team and I get to work on this brand and we just want to see it, uh, see it uh, grow. And, and who knows, maybe in the future, there's, like I said, daydreams are very agnostic, but I don't want to give away any uh, ideas yeah. that I have. I think I already might've even mentioned some of them, but definitely cool diff, uh, product formats, maybe new flavors, custom flavors, keep an eye out. Cause we do, we do fun custom flavors with different uh, partnerships here and there. And I think we do have one coming next year, a custom flavor. So yeah. Um, and I really, I'm, I'm excited to, sorry, go ahead. No, I just really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm excited to see, you know, what happens for, for you guys over the next few years, I'll, I'll be watching from a distance for sure. And, and, you know, consuming the product on a regular basis, right? Where, if somebody wanted to reach out, what's the best place to reach out? LinkedIn, Instagram? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn's good. It gets a bit crowded. If you just shoot me an email to hi at drinkdaydream.com, it's a general box, but I, I have access and it's probably the best way. Cool, man. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. If you're out in the market, if you're listening to this show and you're out in the market and you want a calmer afternoon and you want to get into that flow state, hit up some daydream. Um, you know, let them know what you think. Hit them up with a review. 
Um, and, and don't forget, it's always time to grow. Thanks, everybody. Take care.